0: students podcast my name is JT Stead and I'm your host I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church and what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6 30 to 8 30 with our students so I hope that the sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today thanks for listening the main theme of my sermon or my title is this it's life together life together that's a good representation of what the church or the effects of the church or of the gospel has on people as they start doing life together. And what we're going to see in this, in this, in this passage is that when the gospel takes root in a person's life and transforms them, it also transforms the whole entire community, the city so what does it look like for the gospel to take root? And I want you guys to be asking the question, these questions. One, do I truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then two, does my life truly demonstrate that I do believe in the gospel? Do I believe in the gospel? Does my life demonstrate that I do believe in the gospel? Because the gospel changes everything. And three, if you are not a Christian I want you to ask the question, what is Christianity all about? And that's what we're going to see. Okay? Look at verse 40. Chapter 2. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort the crowd, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. Baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together together. And they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and they were breaking bread. They were feasting and having people over in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor, showing grace with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It is no question that in the first three centuries, Christianity exploded. From AD 33, when Jesus died, to 8300, just in 300 years, the church went from 12 disciples, apostles, to 30 million people. Every historian asks the question, why did Christianity explode the way that it, that it did? Unlike anything that they've ever seen. And these were not just 30 million people of one ethnicity or of one race. Nor were they only people of one class, like the Greek and Roman philosophies. They only attended really to the elites the cultural elites, the rich. Whereas the Jewish Judaism only pertained to the ethnic Jews. But Christianity, it didn't just pertain to one ethnicity, not only one class of people, not just one gender. It wasn't male-centered. It was male and female. It was young and old. It was rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, African, Asian, Roman, Greek, every culture, every nation, From the social outcasts and the uneducated to the educated and social elites, Christianity encompassed all people groups. And this leaves philosophers, even atheist uh, historians, astounded. Like, how could this happen? Christianity to this day is the most diverse and the largest religion in the world. And it has been for two millennia, 2,000 years. Other religions, they've come and gone. Christianity, it's remained strong through every, in every culture, in every nation, in every time period. That should get you thinking about something, what we're doing right now. That this isn't just a game. This is something that has real life effects. Why? Why would it explode the way that it did? In short, because of its two things. Because of Christianity's Counter-culture and radical message, the message, and its counter-cultural practice. So the message and then the practice. The doctrine and then the devotion. The gospel message and its effects are revolutionary. And so I want to answer the question of why Christianity exploded by looking at five effects of the gospel on these, on these first converts, the early church, that's what we're looking at. And the application for you is this. That does these five effects, do these five effects, do they demonstrate themselves here in your own personal lives and in our community? Because what we're going to look at is what real Christianity is. We're not looking at cultural Christianity. Where we just show up and have a good time, hear a message. It doesn't mention anything about sin. We're not going to bore you with my stories about myself I believe that these words are the living words of God I would be a fool not to preach it right so what are these five effects of the gospel not only individually but in the city as well and what we're going to see is that true Christianity is really it's five effects of doing life together And so what does it look like, okay? The first thing that we see in the text is that Christianity, the first effect of the gospel is a radical devotion, a radical devotion. Look at verse 42. What's the first thing? How do they respond? The gospel they heard, they believed it, but now it's taking root and it's about to affect them. How does it affect them? It says, and they devoted themselves. Now, last week, I talked about devotion as a single-minded focus, like some of you and your crushes. You have a single-minded focus on one person right now, and you're going after them unless you're in middle school. You're like, no, that's not for me right now, all right? But it's more than that. Christianity is, the first effect is that it's it's a religion of a radical devotion. Now, what does devoted mean? It's more than just a single minded focus. It it means it's it's a selfless, self sacrificial giving of yourself. To be devoted to something is to give yourself and everything to it. Charles Spurgeon said, he said, the essence of Christianity, the essence of Christianity is the denial of yourself. It's denying yourself, it's laying yourself down. It's laying down your own glory. Your own wants, your own needs for other people. Now, what would make these people so devoted? Well, isn't that the gospel? Isn't that what the message of Christianity is all about? It's all about Jesus laying down his glory. And I want you to see how the message of Christianity then affects their practice. How come they were so devoted? It's because of the truth of the gospel. That Jesus was self-sacrificial. He was the ultimate selfless person. This is a radical selflessness that we see in the text. He was with glory in God, or with God, is God, and he laid down his glory and became a man and walked amongst us. He becomes he puts on flesh. He becomes a man. He suffers. He is selfless. He should receive all the glory, but he should be served, but he becomes the servant. This is the message of the gospel. And so when that truth gets into your mind, like, yeah, Jesus gave up his glory so that I could be in glory with him by dying on the cross, that is going to have an effect on my soul saying, yes, like Jesus, I want to deny myself. Of course I'm going to be devoted. It's no longer about me. I'm going to pick up my cross, Luke 9.23. Deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Jesus. Philippians 2.5 says, Have this mind among yourselves. Just as Jesus gave up his glory, his privilege, his power, and became a man, and died on the cross for sinners, humbling himself, so it is you. You live a life devoted. A a life of radical devotion, a radical selflessness. A good illustration of this is the story of Hannah in the Old Testament. Hannah was a woman who could not have kids. She was barren. And she prayed and prayed and prayed to the Lord, God, give me a child. And in that culture, you've got to understand, for a woman not to bear children, that was a very shameful thing. She prays, and she tells the Lord, she says this, Lord, if you give me a child, I will devote him to you. I will devote him to you. I will let him serve in your courts, in your temple. And so God gives her a child, Samuel. And, and after she weaned him, do you know what that means? After he is no, he's able to eat food, he, she devoted him to the temple service. She didn't even live with him. She, didn't even, she wasn't even with him. She devoted him to God. A life of radical a giving. It's not about taking. It's about giving. I was thinking of this. Self-sacrifice. Marvels. End game. Black Widow. Jumping off the cliff, Right? devoting herself a life of self-sacrifice for her friends. That's what we have here. That's pretty radical. That's so countercultural. What's our, what does our culture say? It says you need to love yourself. Life is about you. You need to get all these toxic people away from you. They're the one that's bringing you down. You need to put yourself first. Christianity is totally countercultural. It says, No, you lay yourself down. Why? Because Jesus laid his life down for you. That's the first thing that we see. This is why it exploded. It was unlike anything anyone has ever seen before. It wasn't a life of performance, of trying to earn your way. It was a life of giving up and saying, I have nothing to give. God, you need to save me. So countercultural. Christianity is about giving. The world is about taking. It's all about taking. What can I get? Christianity says, what can I give? And the Lord, what did he give? He gave his son for you. Second thing that we see in the text, right? So they devoted themselves. Look at verse 42 to the apostles teaching. We looked at this last week in the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who ber- believed, this verse is key here, all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. So the second thing that we see, which was unlike anything anyone has ever seen, was a radical fellowship, a radical unity. And when I think of, when, you, when I say a radical, don't think of like crazy, think of countercultural, something no one has ever seen before, a rare fellowship. They had all things in common If you just flip over the page in your Bible, we see what this means. What does this fellowship mean? Acts 4, verse 32. Same type of thing. Tons of people get saved. And it says this. What what does this fellowship look like? Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. One heart and soul. And no one said... That any of these things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. This is life together. So not only were they devoted to the gospel, to doctrine, to the God's word, to the church on Sundays. But they were devoted to one another. They were a people that loved to gather with one another. They loved to hang out with one another. They loved to laugh and make memories with one another. They were friends. And here's what's so radical about this is that... These were people from all different nations, tribes, tongues, languages, cultural backgrounds. And now they're forming an entity. They have fellowship. Multiple races. Multiple ethnicities. Multiple backgrounds. That's amazing. That's radical. That's unlike anything this world has ever seen. What caused them to have such... Togetherness. Well, is it not the gospel message? How could they have such a union with one another? Well, what does the gospel say? What does the Christianity teach us? Christianity is about God restoring his relationship with fallen man. It's about man receiving salvation and being brought back into union, into fellowship with God. And they would have known that. That was the message of the gospel. First, seven, First Corinthians 6, 17 says this, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And when you start to grasp that when you get saved, you become one with Christ. That changes the way you look at one another. How can you be one with Jesus, but not with his church? How can you have fellowship with Jesus, but not his people, his children? How can you be married to the head of the church which is Christ but not to the body? You see when you start to grasp the gospel, when you start to grasp the good news of Jesus Christ, it begins to change the way you live. These people they, they were given a new identity. A new people group, a new entity, a new, pe- a new people that love to gather. And their friendship and relationship with Christ is what motivates their relationship with one another. They love to disciple one another. And so I have to ask this of you. Do you have a love for your brothers and sisters that are sitting around you right now? Do you want to even get to know them? Do you have any desire to check in with them? To say, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray with you? Hey, let's hang out. I know I always hang out with these people, but I want to hang out with all of you. Why? Because we're one blood in Jesus. We're one body. We're one fellowship. I want to help you follow Jesus, and I want you to help me follow Jesus. That's what these people were doing. And there's nothing better. There's not, not a better illustration of what radical fellowship looks like than at summer camp. It really is true. We do life together. We sleep in the same rooms together. We have to share a shower. We share smells together. It's disgusting, but whatever. It's, it's great. We share meals together. And that's exactly what these people did. They did everything together. They love to be together. We play games together. We worship together. We cry together. We laugh together. We go through hard things together. We enjoy life together. Christianity isn't for the Lone Ranger. Remember COVID? When we had to isolate and you had to do Zoom life group and Zoom everything? how terrible that was and how joyful it was to gather once again. Can we just recapture that every single Wednesday night here? The world wants unity and fellowship based on your performance. Only if you make the team or not. Then you can be part of the team. The world wants unity based on race. Only if you're part of this. So we split everyone up in their own groups. The world wants unity based on class. We have the rich, the middle class, and the poor. Or based on sex, we have female and male. We need to keep things separate. Christianity, it's a unity unlike anything else because it's grounded in the gospel, which is for every single person. That's why it exploded. That's why Christianity was so radical. So we have this radical self-giving devotion, this love for one another, this gathering, this fellowshipping with one another. And then what else do we see in the text? Verse 45, what else were they doing? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. So I'm looking at verse 45. They started to sell their possessions and their belongings, even their homes and their land, distributing all the proceeds to any who have need. Now I have to have a little caveat here, because this is one of the more controversial texts where a lot of uh, communists love to take and say, look, in the Bible, socialism and communism, it's right there. That couldn't be further from the truth, and just a little bit of Bible study, maybe a fifth grade level Bible study, you could see that. Yes, I'm picking on communism because 160 million people have been murdered under its regime, but I digress. They didn't have a centralized bank. They didn't have a centralized government. They didn't have a centralized church where they brought all these women and they're like, all right, you have to give this amount or anything. This was a volunteer, uh, volu- uh, voluntary giving. This was a radical generosity. Unlike Anything. That we've ever seen, and this is the third effect of the gospel when the gospel becomes fresh in your mind and you come to understand it. The outflow is a radical generosity with your things. Turn with me to 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 if you have your Bibles. Turn to 2nd Corinthians, it's in the old uh, New Testament. The message of Christianity is one of generosity. It's one of giving, is it not? And when the people came to understand this, the generosity of God, it changed the way that they viewed their things. So 2 Corinthians 8, how does the gospel play into this? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know, church... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you you, by his poverty might become rich. The gospel is all about giving. It's about Jesus laying down the riches that he had in heaven so that you who are poor in good works may be rich in Christ. And when you come to see the gracious, giving gospel, you start to think of your things a little bit differently. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. In fact, the Lord gives you things. Did you know this? That the Lord gives you things so that you may give it away. Everything that you own. Everything that you own to the last penny. And some of you, that's all you have. That's fine. Every article of clothing, every bed sheet, your room, your phone, everything that you own, you have to understand is a gift from God. You came to this world with nothing. You you came to this world with nothing. And you will leave with nothing. And everything that you have is lended to you by God. And so the people, when they started to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, they recognized that. And they say, you know, what is mine is really from the Lord's. And I want to give. And who are they giving? To anyone who had need. Some of you are like, I don't have money. How do I give? You could give your time. You could give your work ethic. (laughs) You could give up things. You could give up a coat. When you see someone in need, is your first disposition To give or is it, no, they're just going to use that for something that I don't want to support. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And it's sad to me that some Christians are the most stingiest people of all. It doesn't make sense. How can you be stingy when the Lord has given you his most precious gift in Jesus Christ? When you come to understand that that sweet truth, it changes you. It softens your heart to give. You guys remember, I love the Christmas carol. I know it's not Christmas. It's summer. We don't want to even think about the cold. But Christmas carol. Who's the main character in there? Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Have you guys seen the animated version, the one with uh, Disney one? Who's seen it? Okay, I haven't seen it. Okay, it's really great. You, you know the story. Scrooge, he was a man in bondage, enslaved to his money. He was so stingy. And the more stingy he was, the more he was enslaved to it. The more cold he got. But as soon as he learned, as soon as through three visions that he had of really the hell that he was living and causing, as soon as he was freed from that, his response was to give. And a radical change took place in his life. He was joyful. Everyone's like, whoa, this is Mr. Scrooge. He's giving his money away. It's because he came to understand. He came to see the truth of his own sin, his own stinginess, and his own need for redemption in a way. And it's the same with you and I. So they were selling their things. They were giving it voluntary. Just giving it away. It's the natural heart of the believer. The fourth thing in here. Actually, I would say one little comment. <clears throat> How is this countercultural? The world gives to get. And maybe you do this. You only give when you know you're going to get something in return. When you know it's a good deal. You're going to get something out of it. You give your time to someone because they could give you something back in return. Or you give hoping to get. That's the world. Christianity gets by giving, it gets by giving. True. Having is giving. You have by giving. The fourth effect here. The fourth effect of the gospel. How did it change them? It it changed them. Not only only through devotion. Not only through generosity. Not only through fellowship. But hospitality. Hospitality. Look at this. Acts chapter 2. Follow along with me. What were they doing? Verse 46, And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Their automatic response to the gospel was to have people in their homes. What does the gospel have to do with hospitality? Remember that you were once a stranger, but God, through his grace, saved you to make you a child to sit at his table. You were outcasts, you were strangers, and he has brought you in as sons and daughters. That's the gospel. Okay, when you start to understand that, you want to do that with other people. You see the stranger, you see the outcast, and you say, come, come to my home, be a part of my family. You are like one of us. True hospitality is towards people you typically don't hang out with. It's toward the stranger, Stranger could be someone that you don't typically hang out with. Second, some of you are like, stranger danger. I'm not allowed to talk to strangers, okay? That's not what I mean here, okay? It's good. Stranger danger, it's good. It's a good principle here. But hospitality, when you come to understand the gospel, you want to bring people into that. And part of their hospitality was that day by day, they were meeting in the temple and in their homes and they were feasting together. Did you see that? They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They loved to eat together. They had a family table. When you show hospitality, you have a meal with someone, whether it's out or in your home. Some of you are like, I don't cook. Well, maybe you should learn so you can be hospitable here. All right. When you eat together, you are rehearsing what you're going to be doing in heaven with God's church. When we feast together, it's a picture of what we're going to do in heaven. Hospitality how hospitable are you of bringing people in to your, to your life to your friend group? can I read you I'm going to read you what does Jesus think about hospitality? Matthew 2531 I'm just going to read this and move on here when the Son of Man comes in glory Matthew 25:31 and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, he'll say, come, you are you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? How, can, how is it? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in? Or when did I, we see you naked, and when did we clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When you showed hospitality to the least of these, you were showing hospitality to me. Then he will turn to those on his left, the goats, and he will say, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for devils and angels for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty you gave me no drink i was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me then they will answer saying lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger naked or sick or in prison And did not minister to you. Then they will answer them saying. Truly I say to you. As you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. That's how serious God takes our hospitality. That's how serious God takes us. Our our hospitality in reaching those in need. And bringing people who are strangers into our friend groups. There's no place in heaven for clickiness. There's none. Ever. Think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of how you were once a stranger and he sought you by his grace and brought you in. May that have its effect. I can't wait to eat together at camp. It's going to be great. Our culture says, let's lock down and let's destroy all life to preserve life. The Christianity, the Christian message says, no, let's continue to preserve life through hospitality. The world says, let's preserve ourselves so that no one can know who we really are. Where Christianity says, no, we need to be transparent and let people in. It's countercultural. And the last thing we see here is radical grace. Radical grace. This is why Christianity exploded. We see this in verse 47. It says in this little phrase, it just says, and they were having favor with all people. Favor. They were loving all people. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his son. How undeserving they were of to receive salvation from God who descended to save them. And so that affects our practice when we love one another, when we give to one another. Here's the application. How can you ever, how could we ever, as born-again Christians, saved by grace, ever look down our noses at people who are not like us? How could we ever condescend on someone else, say they're not really a Christian? How can we really look, how can we really be critical of other people, to think ourselves better, to compare ourselves to other people? That makes no sense in Christianity. Why? Because Christianity is all about God looking down on you, the sinner, and still giving himself for you to save you out of his love. Therefore, we should never look down on on anyone because we recognize we are all sinners in need of grace. Especially our enemies. Jesus says to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Our culture is saying this. We fight discrimination with discrimination. We fight hate with hate. Jesus says, no, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We were the enemy, but Jesus sought us and saved us. A phenomenal illustration of this, of what this radical love looked like. And this happened. Elizabeth Elliot she was married to Jim Elliot, who went to reach these unreached people. I think they were cannibals. And on visiting them, they, he arrived and they slaughtered him. Missionary, trying to bring the good news to people that have never heard the gospel. Elizabeth Elliot, years later, went to those same people who murdered her husband and led the man who killed Jim Elliot to Christ forgave him and they were partners in ministry for years to come. That's the radical message of the gospel. No, that's, that's, that's so unlike our culture. We fight hate with hate. No, we overcome evil with good. This is real Christianity. And this is why it exploded. Any good in our society can be traced back to Christianity. It can, and it's worldview. And so in conclusion, The gospel message is central to radical life change. And it can be summed up in the good news of Jesus Christ who lived, died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven for sinners in order to save them from their sins, in order to save you. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus's life was characterized by devotion, fellowship, generosity, hospitality, and grace. Therefore, if that's the message, that lends itself to our practice. That should change us. Sinners saved by grace, extending the same grace to others by doing life together through devotion, being devoted, self-sacrificially, fellowshipping with one another, generosity, hospitality, and grace. It's radical. For those of you that don't know Jesus, I want to just speak to you. I want you to see just how radical and transformational Christianity is in society its message is unlike the world's see every human being is infinitely valuable with dignity worth no matter their ethnicity no matter their class no matter their gender they all have infinite value and worth that's that's part of the christian message and its practice is one of selflessness sacrifice true justice and love anything we see that is good in our society can be traced back to christianity it really can And its message is the only message that truly deals with the problems that you face, your own sin. And it remedies your sin by the grace of Jesus. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. Run to him. Cling to him. And for you believers in here, do you see the effects of the gospel in your own life? Are we truly doing life together as the spirit filled church, or is that all talk? We throw around, I love you, man, all the time. Is that just lip service? Have we taken our eyes off of Christ and thus off of one another? If you have the Spirit in you, ask Him to show you your own selfishness and begin praying that Redeemer students would become a group that emulates, that demonstrates the gospel, that makes it visible. I pray that we'd be radically self, self-giving because that's what the gospel is all about. That we'd be known for the gospel of Jesus Christ. i use that term a lot, but it's so central to everything we do. And I pray that you would come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. It's the power of God. And it could transform you. Come to Jesus. See the transformation take place in your own life by trusting in him.